My name is Jeff Lerner, and I interview elite performers from a wide range of disciplines, entrepreneurs, athletes, celebrities, scientists, artists, and more. This is Unlock Your Potential. Welcome to another episode of Unlock Your Potential. This is Jeff Lerner, your host. Always so excited to be back with you, getting to have incredible conversations with incredible, 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 three incredibles today, because this guy's that incredible. Damn. Human beings, including such as the Illumin Illuminous, Illustrious, something. <laughs> Mr. Ed Milet, stoked to have him here. If you don't know Ed, then... Um, I don't know, you must be from outside our solar system, but just on the <laughs> off chance, he's a globally recognized entrepreneur, performance coach, and speaker. Got started in the financial services industry, WFG, I think. And um, he'll, I'm sure he'll correct me if I'm wrong about that, but uh, absolutely blew that up, became uh, one of the Forbes 50 wealthiest under 50. He's done a zillion things. He's all over social media. He's in my feed at least 14 times a day. Um, which actually doesn't annoy me given that volume. I actually genuinely like his stuff that much. He's like, yeah. he's like super sharp. He's business savvy. He's emotionally well-rounded. He has this thing he calls gentle extremism that I totally vibe with. Uh, really, really excited to have him on the show. You can tell I'm a big fan. Uh, has a new book out called The Power of One More, which I have not read, but it dang, it sounds amazing. And some people that I really respect who have read it have confirmed that it is amazing. And honestly, we could sit here, Ed, for an hour and I could just share all your accolades or we can like talk, but I'd, I'd rather talk, man. And I, <laughs> I want you to know the affections mutual. When we were preparing for this, I was sort of blown away by what you built, man. Your community is huge. And, and that's because of you. So no, man, thank you for all those kind words. It's great to be with you. Oh, well, I appreciate that. I, I really do. And I'm so excited you're here. And uh, man, so, so the power of one more, uh, mm. I, I don't know. You, Frankly, this is your show. We can start where you want to start, but I would love I want to at least give you the opportunity to start around this book. Sure. That I think you've, it's already sold. It's only been out for how long and it's sold like over 40,000 copies already? No, it's sold about 300,000 copies in a month. So oh. it's sold, sold a lot. Yeah, it sold 40, I don't know. Say 40, that was like 000. first, that was like the launch or something. I heard that. Yeah, I know that. I think we did a launch event and that day they sold like 40,000 that day. But yeah, it's he's, sold like, he's like, oh, well, that day we sold 40,000. Well, I did a big thing. I mean, I'd be honest with you, like I did a lot of pushing to do that that day. But yeah, the book sold a lot. And in, um, in fact, I was bummed out. It's been on top 10 on Amazon every single day since. And then today I saw it fall way out. It was like number 100. I'm like, what happened today? So, but no, it sold a lot. And I'm really grateful for that. A lot of people are sharing it and buying it for other people. And, and that's gratifying because I worked my ass off on it. So, so you, I mean, maybe this, I don't know, this is like asking a woman how old she is, but like you wrote the book yourself. I did write it myself. Yes. And um, it took a long time because I'm not, I'm not naturally a writer. So to get it right and find the quotes and find the references. And yeah. I had someone eventually help me with all of that, by the way, at the end, like, Hey, here's a better quote. Here's a better idea. Um, and so I was certainly open to that when it was edited, but yeah, I wrote it and it wasn't that the, the strategies, I own all the strategies. It's just putting the sequencing together, the phraseology, trying to take really complicated stuff and make it simple. Yeah. I don't have a need to sound brilliant. I want to help people. And so it was taking all the stuff that I've done that I, you know, coach a lot of successful people myself in my own life. How do I get this into one book? So yeah, it's a, it was a labor of love, but a lot of work. Well, first of all, congrats on, on writing the book that you wrote. Thank you. A lot, a lot of people write a book, but not everybody writes the book that they wrote. So yeah. to speak. Yeah, um, I know what you mean. And I know I know how much work that is because I, I did it myself in the last year and it's it's a lift. So it is a lift and it's an awkward, it's a 
it's a nerve wracking process. Like, did I write the right book? Are people going to well, like and, it? And you're so, not a, you're not a full-time professional author. You're not like not James at all. Patterson just sitting around cranking out books. Like you got work to do. Yeah, Other I got things, work. Right? I have, I'm right now. I have 23 businesses right now that I'm involved with. I speak, I've got a family, I've got, you know, I'm going to manage my estate. I got friends, you know, and, and yeah. to write a book, you know, I do a lot of speaking, but to write a book, it's just like usually people that are really verbal, like you and I are, struggle with writing, right? So, hmm. you know, if you have one skill, you don't have the other. Maybe you have both. But for me, the writing part was work. You know, I had to slow down and really write. But I'm really happy with how it turned out. I'm obviously, you always think something I could do better, but now I feel really good about it. Yeah, well, uh, I'm I'm excited to to get my copy and and dig into it. There's so there's so darn many books to read, man. I've got like. Seven books on on Apple. What do they call iBooks or Apple? Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. use Audible. I use the Apple version, but Me I got too. like seven books I got to listen to. Here's the good news. I'll tell you one thing on the book. Just since I'm self promoting, there isn't another one like it. So most personal development books or self help books, I kind of feel like I've read that book before a lot. Mm -hmm. I don't know about you, but like I'll read them. I'm like, all right, I heard this one in Think and Grow Rich, and now you're you know. And so I just think and grow. I have Think and Grow Rich right here. As a matter of fact, which to me is like the best book I've ever read. The problem is. You don't just think and get rich. Yes, yeah. wrong. It's not true. I got my copy right here somewhere. Every yeah. single person who's we ever accomplished do. something has it, right? And I'm like, yeah. I define, you know, I wanted to write a book that says, what do you got to think and what do you got to do congruently? And mm -hmm. so in the book, I go through a bunch of different one mores, how your reticular activating system works, self-confidence, the most crazy time management system of all time, how to get equanimity, how to find your emotions, how to set goals, how to create standards. It's It's bananas. It's like, most people have told me it's like 60 books in one book because I'm just not going to write another one for a while. So I put it all in one book and, uh, you know, certain chapters will resonate with people more than others, but it's, it's strong, real, real strong. You'll get something out. You'll change something in your life. If you read the book. Oh, that's fantastic. I can't wait to. So, so back me up then. I, I, I really, you know, I don't know how many, if you've had a chance to hear my show before, but I'm really, yeah. I'm actually, I feel like there's a lot of like tactical how-to information out there. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm really interested in the stories and the humans. And, and, and ultimately, this show started as an experiment to, to try to distill the essence of, of really successful people. And yeah. I, don't, I don't care if you play croquet right. or you crochet. Mm -hmm. Like, if you're the best, I, I'm going to remember that one. Clearly, you're good at rhyming, by the way. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> um, I, I'm, but if you're the best, I want to know what makes you tick. So, so, so take me back, man, if you would, I, at risk of asking an overly broad question, what makes Ed tick and why does it tick so well? Um, I think I'm still overcoming my childhood like a lot of people are. So the book is about, and it, it leads to your question. My dad was an alcoholic the first 15 years of my life. Hmm. And um, that shapes you. You know, a lot of things that happen in your childhood shape you. So I grew up a very unconfident kid, like no self-confidence at all, low self-esteem. Our house was the crazy house. Nobody wanted to come over. I didn't know whether my dad was going to come home at night, which dad was coming through the front door. But like most things in life, on the other side of temporary pain, you meet your other self. For me, that pain was an alcoholic dad who, by the way, got sober when I was 15. My dad became my hero, lived 35 years sober, helped this, thousands of people get sober. This is, this is the dad that you I, I saw you reading about making that one last phone call like on his deathbed, right? Yeah, my dad was still helping somebody get sober literally with hours left in wow. his life, okay. right? L struggling for breath. Yeah, that was but powerful. I've made, I've made, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in business with limited skills, truth be told. And But I do have two made ones. And that one is I'm really good at being present with people and reading them. That helps a lot in life and relationships and business. And two, I'm a pretty good communicator. 
And those both come from my dad. When I'm five years old, I got three sisters and a mom. And I didn't know what dad was coming through the front door at five. And so at five years old, I'd hear his car pull up. I'd have to get near the front door and I could read him when he came through the front door. I didn't know what was happening because it was painful, but I'm reading this man. Is he drunk? Is he walking? Is he slurring? How's his tie tied? What's his language like? If he's drunk, I got to get my sisters upstairs. And I'm going to tell mom I'm going to go take a shower. If he's sober, we'll have dinner and everything's great. And But I got to the point, brother, where I could hear it, the key in the lock. I knew at five how that key sounded when I was getting drunk or sober, dad. And mm-hmm. if he was drunk, they got upstairs. I say, Mimi, get the sisters upstairs. Mom, I'll go take a shower. And then I'd have to do the second thing, which is speak and change his state. And I'd grab his little hand when he'd come in, his big hand with my little hand. Hey, daddy, I got a 93 on my spelling test. I get a home run in baseball. How was your day? So you, so you were the oldest? I was the oldest boy, three sisters. Yeah. But that oh, started wow, the yeah. journey. Little did I know that what was happening there was on the other side of that adversity, I was building these skills that would make me a lot of money and that would help me help millions of people, you know, through my podcast and my social and my speaking and all this other stuff. So what makes me tick is helping people. Also what makes me tick is I believe humans can change because I watched my hero do it. I watched my dad live crappy the first 15 years, really bad. Then I watched him live magnificently the last 35 years of my life, right? You know, until he mm-hmm. passed away. My dad died. When my dad died, I wrote the book. And there's all these lessons in the book of one more. When my dad was getting, my dad got sober. Well, actually, before he got sober, I said, you, I said, he goes, I'm going to give it one more try. He tried a bunch of times. And then when he got sober, I said, dad, you're going to stay sober. He said, no, no, no. I can't tell you I'm going to stay sober the rest of my life, but I'm going to stay sober for one more day. One more day. Yeah. And then in you know, a lot of times in business, man, I've been close to quitting. People are like, you got to decide to never quit. That was never me. I just didn't quit for one more day. I didn't quit for one more day. And so a lot of these lessons. And then for me, I always wanted to know, I want to study like, like you have, what's the difference between winning and losing? What's the separator between success and failure? What's the separator between being happy and sad? What is it? And people say, it's so small, man. It's scary. It's so, the difference is so small. It's scary. I'm like, well, then what is it? What is the thing? Like, what is it? Like, tell me. And for me, it may seem very simple, but I believe it's one more. I'll just give you what I'm telling you. When I had no self-confidence, when you don't have any self-confidence because you have a crap relationship and reputation with yourself, you don't keep the promises you make. The reason I had no self-confidence is I didn't do stuff I said I was going to do. And once I shifted that, we've all heard this, self-confidence is keeping and, the promises and, and you make And to be to clear, whether you said it out loud or you just said it internally, same, di- same difference. Same thing. I felt it, right? I lived it. I did not believe in me. I, I walked everywhere not thinking I was qualified, not good enough, you know, invisible, all the stuff that comes with having a dad like that. And the way you shift it is you start keeping the promises you make to yourself. Now you build self-confidence. All of a sudden I get up, I'm going to drink this gallon of water every single day. I'm going to make my bed. I'm going to make 10 phone calls. I'm going to, you know, do 30 minutes on the treadmill. You start keeping those promises of little things. Yeah. You can point the weapon. But then I was like, okay, I've done that. So what, how do you become superhuman? And here's what it is. You don't in life, get your goals. You get your standards. You don't get goals all the time. You miss a lot of them. You always will ultimately get your standard. So then what's your standard? My standard, this is what makes me tick. My standard is very simple. It's one more. Meaning if I'm going to get up and I say, I'm going to do 30 minutes on the treadmill, I do 30 minutes and one more. I'm going to do 10 reps on the bench. I do 10 plus one more. I'm going to make 10 contacts for business. I do my 10 plus one more. Tell my daughter I love her every day plus one more time. You stack up those one mores, you change your life. The second application, and then I'll come up for air, is this. There's a fallacy. The Bible says, where there's no vision, the people perish, right? 
if you dig deeper into that, people have vision. Their issue is depth perception for almost every single human being. Let me tell you what I mean by that. They have goals and dreams. They said, do you want to be happy or sad? Happy. Rich or poor? Rich. Help people. Don't help a soul. I want to help people. Laugh, cry. I want to laugh. Okay, so people have a vision. Their issue is it's further away. They think it's 20 years mm -hmm. away. And because they think it's that far away, they act in accordance with that belief system and they perpetually keep it there. But what if the truth is that's a lie? What if the truth is you're one decision away from changing your life? One meeting, one relationship, one podcast, one book, one mm -hmm. thought, one new emotion. I've proven you are much closer than you think that you're one away. And those are the two applications of the one more. Then I teach you all the stuff about your brain and how to program it to do it. Yeah, it's super interesting. And it's so it's so interesting to me how common this this has been my takeaway from this, you know, I think this is like episode number 210, right? Mm -hmm. And I I don't, I'm not there, but I feel like I'm getting closer. But what I'm what I'm getting closer to is it's kind of like a, it's not a it's not a term, it's not a definition, it's like a feeling almost. Mm -hmm. Um and and you're you're right there and it's this the consistent feel if i could try to wrap words around the feeling it's it's exactly what you're saying it's like the how do we take all the all the crap all the all the shitty things mm -hmm. that got put on us many of them before we even had the 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 luxury of choosing much of anything in our life like but even as we got more choice, most of the bad things we didn't choose, like it's, it's all stuff that got. And how do we take those things and convert them to, to use a Calvin and Hobbes term, transmogrify them yep. into our superpower? You use that term. Superpower. I say almost those exact words in the book that this here's the deal. Most of your limiting beliefs or the emotions you experience on a regular basis were installed in you. I actually use the word you used mm -hmm. when you were defenseless and you were a child particularly your emotions. Yeah. And then this idea of feelings. I was a chapter in the book called One More Emotion. You just nailed this. So this is the genesis of a lot of my work. Most people, here's the thing. You don't want a jet. You want how you think the jet's going to make you feel. You don't want to be ripped and jacked. You want to be ripped and jacked because of how you think it's going to make you feel. Right. You don't want a million bucks. You want how you think it's going to make you feel feel. Mm -hmm. You don't want this unbelievable relationship. You want how you think it's going to make you feel. But as a culture for a hundred years, we've been told, make all your outcomes and your goals stuff. And if you get the stuff, then you'll get these feelings. But the truth is you won't get these feelings because you have an emotional home. So if your emotional home is peace, joy, ecstasy, you find a way every week to get those emotions. But if your emotional home is worry, angst, fear, anxiety, depression, anger, whatever it might be, no matter what the external conditions are, you find a way to get these emotions you're familiar with. So what if, I, by the way, I have a goal setting chapter in the book. I think you should set goals. I have a really unique way of doing it. You're still going to miss 75% of them, but you're going right. to get your standards. But what if you started to become more intentional about the, the feelings you wanted, the emotions you wanted? And what if you could have them before you get the stuff? And what if, because you get those feelings, the stuff is easier to get. People ask me all the time, how have you had five jets? I own an island. I own this beach house. I'm in. I own a desert. I blah, blah, blah. Hundreds of millions of dollars. All my homes are cash. My Anything you see on Instagram, it's all owned free and clear. Every single mm -hmm. thing. How is that? Well, I had goals to get those things. I very long ago started to unpack, what do I want to feel? And if I could start to feel those things now, I'll get the stuff. I've got plans for the stuff. 
But our culture spends all its time on the stuff and never on how the emotions work. And if you don't get the emotions right, you're not going to get the stuff. Or if you get the stuff, it's not going to make you feel how you think you're going to feel. And you'll probably lose it. Yeah. You'll probably lose it because you have a pattern in your life you run. So was was WFG kind of your big professional ascendancy? Yeah. As a kid, I started to build a financial company. That was so okay. I my life changed first. I went, my dad came home from his first AA meeting. Isn't this interesting? One meeting says, I got you a job. I was living at home. I'd graduated college. I played college baseball. I was losing. And my dad goes, I got you a job. I go, well, what is it? I've got this degree. I want to use it. My dad goes, bullshit. You're eating out of the fridge. Get your ass down there in the morning. I don't know what it is. And I showed up there and it was an orphanage. And it was hundreds and hundreds of boys. And I walked into cottage eight and I had 12 boys there. They were all eight years old. They became like my sons. And I had to walk in and I took them to school every day. I was there when they went trick-or-treating. I took them you know, I opened Christmas presents with them. Their parents were dead, had molested them, or were incarcerated. Mm. And it changed my life, man. Like, I I went, oh, my God, I love helping people. I wasn't qualified to be there. I had no kids. I'm not a psychologist. But I found out something. This may sound hokey with two dudes talking. All my boys wanted from me was someone to love them. Yeah. Care about them. Here's a hook. Here's a biggie. Actually believe in them. And then show them how to do better. And while I was there, I started building the financial business. And guess what I found out? My boys weren't unique. Every single human being wants someone to love them, care about them, believe in them, and show them how to do something better. And I built a monster financial business doing that. And it ended up getting bought by Transamerica. Yeah. I ended up buying the company. and the they're, they're the ones with the building in San Francisco. They are. And LA and everywhere else. They're big, big. That companies. famous pointy building. Yeah. For anybody they, got big, that knows. Big, they got a big pyramid looking building. Yeah. Right? Transamerica does. And uh, it was from there that I started building other businesses. Real estate businesses. Gotcha. And tech businesses and you name it. Chocolate company and <clears> fitness <throat> businesses and all kinds of different stuff. So, uh, you know, I, it was a it was a loaded setup and, and thank you for going right where I, I hoped you would. My 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 fundamental premise, and this is where I do feel like I'm getting closer to the answer that this this show was designed to, to research is it's this combination of taking all of the resilience and the essentially compensations that we develop as skills in response to our our traumas and our uninvited pains. Yes. And melding them and suffusing them with, and, and like you said, we'll be corny because it's two dudes talking, but I very much believe that when you suffuse those things with the, like the healing and the expansive power of, of love energy, you can right. kind of fuse all this crap together into like this, you know, Jeff or Ed or whoever you are uniquely shaped and suited superpower toolkit. You nailed it. And, and, and I, did a, I did a speech last week uh, at, a, at an event where I had a fork in the road and there was like thunderclouds and there was like a rainbow, right? It's like heaven and hell, the road to heaven and hell. And it's like when you're on the road of trauma, which we all are, you've had all this crap dumped on you. It's like some people break, break bad and some people break good. And it's like same experiences, same conditions, same circumstances. What's the X factor? And for me, it was experiencing really like unconditional love Bro. is what rescued me from going dark, which I easily could have because of a lot of shit that I experienced, which, you know, I'll, I'll share on another show sometime, but um, I'm hearing the same thing for you, man. Like you, you had a bunch of shit and God, it's so beautiful to walk into a, a bunk full, a bunk room full of kids, full of eight year olds. 
yeah. and have that be the catalyst. It changed my life, man. And I, I found in love. I'm like, wow, I kind of like helping people more than I am like stroking my ego all the time. When, mm -hmm. by the way, I'm and how I'm, old were you when that happened? 22. And by the way, I'm still good, you know, still have to fight ego. All of us do. But man, I was like, okay, this doesn't feel empty to me at all. Like, yeah, I yeah. love, love, I, I, we're so alike, bro. Like, I really believe that pathway to do anything great is linking what you love to it or who you love to it. And you'll do anything for it. My dad got perfect example. Why'd my dad get sober? Truthfully, he was going to lose his family finally. Mm -hmm. And he told me, I love you enough to try again. And you deserve a dad you can be proud of. Anything I've ever done great in my life is out of a space of love. One other thing I would add to it is when these events happen, why is it that two kids can grow up in, say, an alcoholic household, right? One goes on to run a company and become very wealthy and help people and do the difference, and the other one ends up on the street just like their mom or dad. Oftentimes, it's not the events of our life that define us. But here's a hook. It's the meaning we attach to the event. Mm -hmm. What does this mean? Because when you attach a meaning, stay with me because it's what you said earlier. When you assign a meaning to something, it creates an emotion. That emotion creates a behavior. That behavior creates a pattern. That pattern creates a life. And so the meaning we take, I'll give you an example, extreme example. You and I right now, if outside my home, God forbid, there was a car accident and a family was killed. And we walk up to the scene and we're the only one there. That's an event. You and mm -hmm. I would attach a meaning. Horrific tragedy. I, I, how am I going to get over the visualization of seeing this poor family laid out here? I know this is extreme, but stay with me. That would be our meaning. It would create an emotion of sadness, depression. There's no God, whatever it is, right? right? Which would attach a behavior, which would create a pattern. And here we are with a life. Mother Teresa would engage in that exact same event. And her meaning would be totally different. She said that it was the honor of her lifetime to be with a soul when it leaves someone's body and goes to heaven. So that same exact event, which is completely logical, the meaning you and I would attach, she decided a completely different meaning to it, which is a different emotion, which created different behavior, which created a different pattern, which created a different life. And Mother Teresa was all about love. And so you're right on every front. But if you want to create change in your life, you have to evaluate the meaning you attach to events because that's what generates the emotion. So, so let me, let's take this a layer deeper. I want to ask you a question. Um, cause I, I love what you said. I wasn't sure where you were going, how you were, I wasn't sure how you were going to pull that one out of the fire and, and you did beautifully. Um, I feel like in all such situations, you know, both the, the grand and the, you know, the, the daily prosaic, right? Like we have that, that fundamental decision about what meaning to attach. And, and typically it's like for at risk of oversimplifying, it's the love meaning or the fear meaning. Bingo. Right? You know, Nailed we can it. kind of pull from one of those yes. two, two camps. And as human beings, we tend to default to the fear meaning, right? Like, right. like you and I would both attach that same meaning. This is horrific. This is tragic. This is, this yes. isn't fair. Like all the, all the negative, all the, the glasses half empty interpretations of the situation, we would go there by default because that's just where humans go by default, right? right. Even though you and I have worked pretty hard to mm -hmm. try to transcend our default programming, we'd probably still go there. Mm-hmm. So, so what do you, how do you, you do a lot of coaching with people. Mm -hmm. How do you start to, what's the word, uh, you know, sort of inculcate for people uh, or try to automate a, a bypass of the fear response to get to the love, mm -hmm. the love interpretation or the love meaning for people that, mm -hmm. A, we live in a world that is, is not, you know, is the other. We live in a world that doesn't support that. And a lot of us have a lot of conditioning and reinforcement of the other. 
And it's hard. How, how do you work with people to get them to reflexively go to love interpretations and not fear? I'll give you two answers on it. One, I say in the book that, because the books, I say the power of one more, but it's the ultimate guide to happiness and success, which are two totally different things, by the way. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the happiness part. So 99% of people I have a whole chapter in this book on, um, the, I'll just give you the terminology. 99% of people operate out of history and memory. That is their mental operating system okay so when an event happens they link it to a historic event of their own which creates a memory and then they descend into where you just went one percent of people operate out of the opposite they operate out of imagination and vision so what i try to do when i'm meeting with someone is first i can listen to their words and figure out whether they operate out of history and memory or imagination when you're a child why are you happier before all this shit happens to you you're happier as a child because you have no history or memory. Right. You're operating only out of imagination and vision. Then that gets stolen from you and you become a pattern of, of someone who's history. So number one, I shift them into imagination and vision. What would I need to believe about this? What would I need to imagine about? What would I need to vision about? Where am I going? What's happening? What's my dream? What am I moving towards? That's number one. Number two, there's a part of your brain called the reticular activating system. It's chapter two. I call it the matrix in the book. This is it. So your matrix validates for you what you believe to be true, which is what you repeatedly think about. The mind, I'm getting detail here, bro, but the mind moves mm -hmm. towards what it's most familiar with. It moves towards the familiar emotion. It moves towards the familiar thought. You play these over and over and over and over again. And so that's what you see in your life. It reveals to you. The RAS is a filter. It reveals to you what's important to you. Perfect example, that so everyone will understand it. I just bought a, uh, a Tesla. I just think what Musk is doing is hilarious. I don't think he was ever buying Twitter. I think it's right. hilarious. He just duped the world. Now we all know about their bots, blah, blah, blah. Okay. So I told my team, I said, get me one of these Teslas. So I go get a Tesla. It's in my driveway. Okay. When I drive now, everyone's experienced this before. I see freaking Teslas everywhere. You ever had this experience? Yeah. My wife's going nuts. She's like, I'm like, babe, red Tesla, white Tesla. Three lanes over, other side of the freeway. I'm like, babe, black Tesla plaid. She's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? I'm like, I never saw them before. She's like, they were always there. I go, guess what? I don't see any Mercedes anymore. I see Teslas because mm -hmm. they become important to me. So I try to work with people to make their Teslas, their Teslas become the compelling vision and imagination for their life and break the pattern of the history and memory. Being aware that you do it loses its power over you. But when we do repeated visualizations, because you already repeatedly visualize, just so you know, you're playing in your subconscious mind over and over and over and over these memories of your life. You have to take control of them and begin to imagine and envision something different, even if you don't believe it. But the more you repeat it, your mind begins to move towards it, becomes an obsession of yours. Your RAS opens up and starts to reveal the people, places, and things that were always in your periphery that you're missing so that you see them. It's why when you walk into a crowded room and it's loud and no more audibly than anybody else, you hear Jeff. Someone says, Jeff, why do you hear your own voice audibly over a noisy room? Because that matters to you and your RAS. It filters out the white noise and here's Jeff. But if someone says, Janice, you don't hear that. Yeah. That's why when you're on an airplane, three lanes down, three rows down, you can't help but hear this couple that's fighting, even though they're not raising their voices because it became, you audibly hear things over the noise. You see things out of the gray. This is true in our life. So if we have an operating system that believes the world takes advantage of me, I'm invisible, I'm a victim, I'm this, I'm that, you will have the matrix revealed to you all the Teslas that prove you to be right. But if you can change the fundamental belief system, begin to visualize it repeatedly, and I teach how to do it, 
you'll begin to see here. And that's not bullshit. That's a real thing. It's why I'm sitting here is because I'm good at that. And I get my athletes to be good at it. I get my quarterbacks that drop back to pass, Jeff. See, what Tom Brady does is when he scans the defense, pre-snap and post-snap, he's finding the blitzer and he's finding the open receiver. He finds the open. That's what his RAS scans for. An average quarterback scans and finds the covered receiver and then has to work to find the open one. So people Mm. that wins RAS are programmed to serve them. People that lose or that are unhappy have one that's out of their control. It's a matter of taking control of it. I call it the matrix. Yeah, I will. I will validate that that, you know, I am sitting here in whatever great, great things I exist in my life. It is completely because of exactly what you just said. Mm-hmm. Um, in the last, you know, for people, for my audience, you guys have been on this journey with me for the last few years. This has been a sprint around exactly what Ed just said of, of obsessive fixation on on insistent control of my reticular activating system and what it was that I was focusing on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and by the way, we live in a world that will tell you what to focus on if you don't tell it first. I mean, isn't it incre- isn't incredible more than ever right now in the world today, like you have got to get control of this or it's already got control of you. Well, let's even, you're so, dude, I love you. So the, the news literally tells us this is important. Pay attention to this. Yeah right? And here's how you should feel about it. It's amazing. There's some tragedy that happens. Someone's murdered. And somehow the news picks that murder as the one you should be worried about, as opposed to the thousands of other ones that happened in the exact same days. And the whole world's transfixed on this one event, this one thing, and you should feel this way about it. And us sheep go, yeah, did you see the, I don't know, man, you're wrong. And we're debating. It's this loop that we're in their RAS all the time. Exactly. We're in theirs. And it makes us really easy to sell stuff to, by the way. It is. That's why I call it the matrix. We're in their matrix. We're in their matrix. And it's, and by the way, sometimes probably what they're showing us is very valid that should be in our matrix and we should all be talking about it and try to fix it. But oftentimes, why does that one matter over this one? Who are you to tell? And so you're exactly right. There's a matrix, but 99.999% of people are in someone else's matrix, not in one of their control of their own that was given to them somewhere else. Yeah. And when you begin to just take control of it, I have a mother-in-law, you'll laugh at that. Well, maybe you won't. My mother-in-law is like the most religious Christian woman of all time. I mean, brother, like she just loves the Lord, right? <laughs> and But her primary emotion is peace. So it yeah. works. Her you, People think, oh, she's crazy. Well, I don't know. How cool is it to go through life like that? So, so why is her reality wrong or right? Like the wind will blow, bro. And I'll be with her and she goes, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for that breeze. You know, she sees good everywhere. Flowers, right? Someone gives her, oh my God, God is so good. And there's a part of me that when I'm with her, and I'm a person of faith as well, but I'm like, wow, how beautiful that her RAS is constantly finding this peace, that's finding this bliss, Mm. where so many people, they're finding this frustration. They're finding this angst. They're finding this fear. They're finding this anger. They're finding this depression. And it's just, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing to watch someone who's actually taking control of their RAS for their own good. Hey, it's Jeff here. If you're getting value out of this podcast, please, if you would, leave us a review on whatever platform you're listening on. It really, really helps us get the word out and it should only take you about 30 seconds. Thanks so much. Now let's get back to the show. So you, you, I love that you use the, you know, you have people think she's crazy, right? Mm-hmm. And, and one of the things that I work with a lot in my community of, because my community is primarily 
comprised of people that are making a major shift in their life. They're mm -hmm. shifting, whether it's from employee to entrepreneur, mm -hmm. or it's dependence to independence, or in some way, they're, they're, they, come, they don't just come to our world. Like there's a lot of places, you can go to Udemy and take courses and learn how to set up a funnel or whatever. Yeah. They come to us because we approach it a very per particular and sort of holistically transformational way, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'm often working with people to try to visualize what they're going to need to look like in order once you know in order to be the person that's capable of achieving what it is that they're telling me now they want to achieve right yes and the reality is usually that vision or that version of them is is considerably different yes than who they are now and it's yes. different in a way that to the person they are now based you know in the environment that they're in now with the influences that they have now probably is going to look pretty weird or yes. crazy or bizarre or extreme or intense or unhinged or whatever. Yes. And so a lot of the work I'm trying to do is get them comfortable with the fact that as they become who they're capable of becoming, they're going to have resistance in the form of judgment and saying, I'm getting too extreme. I'm getting too intense. I'm getting too unlike my, my former status quo. Yes. And, and so I like that you said, like, she's so peaceful. People think she's crazy. Yes. And my experience is when you get around people that are, you know, at a really elevated state, whatever, it's always there's like, if you really get to know them, they're so blank, they seem crazy. 100%. By the way, at the beginning of the book, we, we share vernacular. Very early in the book, I say, call rich. When I use the word rich, I'm talking about rich in emotion, rich in money, rich in whatever mm -hmm. you want. I say weird, rich, normal, poor. And so one of the things you first have to adopt of your identity is that I'm weird. Yes. You, you have to adopt it and get accepted. You have to immediately go, look, I'm weird. I'm crazy. I'm delusional. I'm one of these crazy dreamer, visualize, think I can grow, think I can change. I know it's crazy. By the way, I'll meet you someday when we both die and you tell me which one of us was really crazy. Because yeah. at the end of a life, a crazy person who's delusional, who has visions and dreams and pursues growth and their best version, at the end of their life, they're a whole lot happier than the one who was normal. Right. Mm -hmm. And I talk about this a lot. I, I have a new show coming out. It's a television show called Change. I can't, I'm under an NDA, but it's out like the end of August. It's ladies on my show. There's a bunch. I help people intervene and change their life. One particular woman had gained 180 pounds and she had lost like 90 of it, gained it back, gained it back. And I said to her, I said, Angie, I said, the first thing we have to do identify is who you actually are. And what's happened is you're so familiar with being heavy that you identify yourself as a heavy woman a fat woman who happened to lose weight. And because you know you're a fat woman who's lost weight, you are going to do everything you can to get back to the person you believe you are. Mm -hmm. I said, what we have to do is adopt a belief system that you're a beautiful, healthy woman who happens to have gained weight. That's a completely different perspective. That way we can get back to who you really are because we always are working to get back to what who we believe we are. So this notion that you're crazy is true. And the other part of it is you've got to start to do the real work I'm beginning to believe that you're who you should be and not who you used to believe you were. All you are right now is a manifestation of confirming beliefs about yourself that you've always had all your life. It's actually not who you really are. It's just a confirmation of beliefs you've had that you've mm -hmm. proven to be true. And if you can change that belief system of who you are, which is not easy, but possible, that when you do it, you'll begin to behave in accordance with that and then validate and prove that over a long period of time. It's real simple. So I want to I make a distinction here. Um, 
calibrating your reticular activating system. The reticular activating system is essentially a filter mm -hmm. for all the sensory data that comes into us from our external environment, right? You got it. But it sounds like there's a, a different sort of an almost an inversion of that, which is calibrating all of the data and perception that we that we gain from our internal environment. Mm -hmm. So if the RAS is what we, you know, is, is what we see in the world, there's a whole other question of what we see in ourselves. Correct. And, I believe, and, and I believe so that's kind of what you're other. talking about is like re, is shaping, shifting your identity. I believe your internal identity is what shapes that filter for the external. It's what reveals to you what's okay. in the external. So my belief is that um, if you believe you're ill-prepared for something, you will constantly have filtered into your awareness references that prove that to be true. A belief is like an empty table, like a top. And what your mind goes to do is to find references and put legs under it. And so your RAS goes to work on proving that to be true. It's almost like if you're, I, I give this analogy, you probably heard me say before, but there's your identity, your overall identity is like a thermostat setting on your life. Right. So you have different ones. You could be have a happiness setting, a bliss one, a money one, a faith one, a relationship one. Just take money. If you're a 75 degreeer and that's your identity of how much money you're worth and you begin to add wealth. I oh, mean, I've saved hundred grand. I've saved 200 grand. Eventually you turn the air conditioner on unconsciously of your life and cool it back down to believe. So you get what you believe you're worth. You do it mm -hmm. all the time in your life. Uh, but someone has a 75 love relationship. You go, man, they've met this new person. This is my dream mate. You come back in a year, you're like, what happened? You go, ah, it didn't work. They weren't who I thought I was. No, you turned the air conditioner on and got back to what you believe you're worth. And so this worth that we have causes us to filter things out and into our awareness to prove we're right. And the more we work on that identity, the more we work on who we believe we are, the more that filter, that RES begins to change. You and I can walk in a room. I've got an I'll give you the extreme example. Um, my best friend is African-American. And when we, we were just in Hawaii together not long ago, and we're having a drink, and he goes, hey, man, there's two of us here. I said, I know, me and you having a drink. He goes, no, 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 brother. There's two brothers here at this resort. Oh. I said, what are you talking about? He goes, there's two black dudes at this resort. I said, I had no idea. He goes, of course not. You're not looking for that. Part of my RAS, he knows our language. Right, he right. Goes, when I walk in a room, I scan the room. I want to see where another brother is. I said, "You're kidding me. You really do that?" He goes, "Of course, man." He goes, "If you like blondes, and you walk in a room and you're single, within about a minute, every dude can tell you where every blonde is in the room. Their RAS finds it. But if you like brunettes, you don't see the blondes." So that's an extreme example, but it proves to you that the internal belief system causes a filter. Because mm -hmm. I'm not African American, I'm not saying every African American says something like that, but my buddy scans the room and he knows in most places where another person of his ethnicity is. Mm -hmm. I don't think that way. He thinks that way. Same room, different filter. It's really a fascinating study. And so for me, if that's accurate there, that's accurate in all areas of life. And it's not a, it's not always just a, a something as simple as that, but it proves to you that we all can walk in a room and have a different filter depending on any of our conditions, any of our belief systems. So in terms of the internal um, I'm curious your approach. I have a theory, but I, I want to hear yours on sort of how to go in and, and do that sort of invasive surgery of, like you said, to, to reset your thermostat in these different areas of life. Let's say somebody has a, a really, uh, unhealthy relationship with money. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and they're constantly sabotaging themselves every time they're at risk of, of earning yep. more money. Um, yep. How, how do they go in and what, what, how do you, what's your process to go in and, and do that work? And by the way, for my audience, like I, I know at least 
in my world of Entra, this is a big, big issue. <laughs> it's a huge issue. It's an issue for me. It's an issue for you to get to the next level. Yeah, I can't hold on to this identity be the next level of me. So one is repeated visualization. I teach it in the book, the types to do where we can make it brighter, darker, speed it up, slow it down, add music to it. It's not complicated at all. You can do it easily. You're already doing it. You just don't have control of it. So that's mm -hmm. one huge area to program the RES because you will move towards what you're most familiar with. The second thing is I give a trilogy. When I was a young guy, it's going to be a long answer, but I'll give it to you as quickly as I can. I won my first trip in that financial company to go to Hawaii. I'd never been on vacation before. I got up early because I didn't have money to eat at the hotel we were at. And I'm like, I'm just going to run off this hunger. <laughs> and I'm running on the beach at like 5 a.m. There's this dude running towards me the other way. He's a bald guy. He's sweaty. He's got like a hairy back. I'm like, oh, gosh, this guy's going to run right by me. We both, it's so long ago, I have a Sony Walkman on, mm -hmm. right? So does he. He runs by me and it's Dr. Wayne Dyer who's an icon in the self-help. Yeah, yeah. Self I, I played piano at a service for him one time. So, Oh, my goodness. That's amazing. Yeah, cool story. And so I uh, I stop. I go, Dr. Dyer, you changed my life. And this kid, he goes, he stops. He goes, well, we're running. He goes, I, I doubt that. I'm sure you changed your life. But how did I help? And he walks towards me. We ended up sitting on the beach for an hour and a half together. He became a lifelong friend. Hmm. And I'm a kid. At the end of it, he goes, Ed, I think you're going to change the world. I'm sure he said that a lot, but to me, I was the only dude he ever said to. And he goes, and by the way, I think you're brilliant. You have a really great voice. I think you, you articulate yourself beautifully. And that's not why. And he said, would you please do me a favor and never attach your self-worth? I'll never forget this, Jeff. Never attach your self-worth, your belief in yourself and your achievements or your abilities. And I went, well, why would, what else do you attach it to? And he goes, uh, you have beautiful intentions, Ed. Because your intent is to help people. You have unbelievable intentions. And if you just attach your confidence and your worth to that, because I, and by the way, Jeff, that was the first time in my life someone complimented me and I knew it was true. Someone mm -hmm. tells you how smart you are, how handsome you are, how beautiful you are. I didn't believe any of that. When he said, you have a great heart and you want to help and you want to serve and you want to contribute. I went, I, I actually do. You're right. And so I've always linked my confidence and my ability to change, not in even this podcast. Like right before we came in, I had lunch with my wife, did a little quick one minute prayer where I just said, hey, man, my intent is to serve. I come in here very confident, not because of all the stuff in my book, not because I'm so great, because I know my intentions. So in the book, I teach a trilogy of how to change your identity. I'll do them really quickly. Here we go. Faith. If you have any faith, whatever your faith is, I don't care what it is, but let's just say you were a Christian hypothetically. Why is it that there's a God on Sunday at church? You got a guy at a Bible study, but when you walk into a business environment, somehow you're solo. If you believe there's a quantum field, why is there this quantum field you can plug into, get infinite knowledge when you're reading, when you're talking smack about it, but when you're going to give that presentation, somehow it doesn't exist. Hmm. So your faith, two intentions, intent, link to your intentions. And third is your associations. You have to have people around you who have higher thermostat settings in that area than you currently do. By byproduct, they will heat you up. How do you know if you have a good association? Last thing, people go, this old bullshit. Well, the five people you hang around, it's not BS, just we've all heard it before. Right. How do I delineate whether they're a good association or not? Obviously, if they're toxic, all that stuff, they're gone. Here's how you know. What operating system do they go out of? The history and memory or the imagination and vision one? If when you're with your friends, most of the time, it's like, remember when, man? You remember. Yeah. Remember that concert? Remember that deal? Remember when high school? Remember when you changed that? Remember when you? Remember? Wrong associations. 
it's very hard to find somebody who goes, hey, man, what do you got working on right now? Where are you going? What are you excited about? What's your vision? When I'm around some of the most successful people on the planet who have unbelievable histories, they don't operate out of it. They operate out of their imagination and vision. So faith, intention, association can begin to shift that identity. I mean, that's that's really the essence of uh, Eleanor Roosevelt's quote, you know, small minds discuss people, average minds discuss events, great minds discuss ideas. Like yeah. events and people are history and memory. Don't you think for a minute that you and I, let's say we become friends right now. Don't you figure if you and I were having lunch, if people could listen in on that lunch, wouldn't you and I mainly be talking about creativity, oh, genius, yeah. where we're going, what we got now, where we're happening, what, what, what's going to happen in the future? That's how you know someone would be a great association, why you feel their energy. I kind of like this dude. I kind of like this dude, right? But what we want to have is people who like us. We'd rather have people who just accept us as we are, right? I want to have a few buddies that I like pick up the house before they actually come over. I want some buddies who yeah. have expectations and standards for me that are what I'm capable of being, not what I currently am. And most people just have people around them that expect what they're already getting from them. And they talk about history and memory all the time. And you're just going to reinforce it. Yeah, I love the uh, the story you told about Wayne. It, it's it's really um, it really resonated with me. It, it, a little br brief bit of autobiography. So, and I'm, I'm I'm actually how old were you when that happened? Twenty nine, I think. Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm a little jealous. You have these all these things happen in your twenties. I was like in my thirties when I started to like get my head screwed on straight. But uh, it was really kind of the same thing where. Uh, I was, I was completely attached, you know, I gave all my power and all my sense of self to external, whether it was external achievements or internal attributes as measured externally, right? Mm -hmm. Like intelligence or competence or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, and then in, in my early thirties, I met my current, my wife mm -hmm. and she was a, a single mom with three kids. Wow. And I, uh, it's a little older picture, but that's my family. Oh, beautiful family, bro. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, the fourth one, this one we added since, but so the, the other three kids were, they were eight, seven, and one when I met her. Wow. And uh, so there was a dad shaped void in this mm -hmm. family. Mm -hmm. And I walked into the house and I, I started, I was dating, dating their mom and, you know, I'd been there a few times and, and. Jada, my little girl, she, she didn't know any better. She called me dad. Oh, wow. Wow. And, uh, wow. That was the, that was the beginning of me becoming a, 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 a person that I actually like to be around. I love that brother. I love the, you know, you and, and it's it. the Go same ahead. thing though. It's, it's when somebody sees your intention and they, they evaluate your heart and they evaluate your being, not your doing. Yes. That's like what catalyzes all the other stuff that you've been dragging along the whole time. And it helps you build it into your, your super, superpower toolkit, you know, but it really is love. And it sounds so corny, but like, that's, well, it's not corny. So for example, you're always making, by the way, that's so beautiful. And the most beautiful part is watching your face. When you tell that story, I, I hope everybody could actually see this and not just hear it, but you know, listen, you're always making people feel something. Most people aren't aware of it. Someone yeah. is always feeling something from you. And what I try what I try to do, this sounds hokey, but it's to make them feel like I love them. 
And I actually, you can't transfer to somebody that which you are not experiencing, not authentically. Mm -hmm. So I really work on just being like what I said with my dad, being present and reading people. And then when you're comfortable in someone's presence and you can read them, I go, I experienced this person. I love him. And if they could just feel that just a little bit, I mean, I'm weird, bro. I'll tell you what I do when I'm out. I'm people walk by me. People can think I've lost my mind. If you know, nowadays, a lot of people come up to me because they recognize, you know, you from stuff, right. but especially when they don't, I love when someone walks by me that I never met and I probably never will meet. And I just say, I wish you peace. I say little prayers for people all the time that walk by me. And I just want them just for a second to feel my energy that I love them, that they feel some peace. And maybe that sounds weird, but it helps me build the muscle of loving people. It helps me stay in that intentional state. It helps me express it when I'm with somebody. And I think people respond to that. And I, I, I want to walk through my life like that. It keeps me light. It keeps me feeling at home. It keeps me creating. It keeps me vibrating at a frequency that I really, really like. You know, I, I feel like we're inching closer to this, this answer that I keep referencing. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to posit a, uh, a notion, right? A thesis. Okay. That, because this has been my experience completely. And again, since I learned what real unconditional love looks like from my wife and children, so I've, beautiful. you know, that's, that, that was my teaching tool for me was that ex experience of them. But but here's my, I tell in, in, in Entra, like, you know, I, I say it like a broken record, right? That people will forget what you say. They will forget what you do, but they will never forget how you make them feel. And that for us to win, especially in the crazy world we're in this environment, it's going to come down to how people feel. That's when, when people talk about user experience, it's how the user feels, right? And um, or customer experience. And so we talk about that a lot, but what I want to suggest is that if there was one superior skill that a person could develop. Like if you, if you said, I can, I'm going to, I only get one skill to go through life mm -hmm. and I want to be successful. I would suggest that it is the ability to genuinely have people feel love when they're around you. You have and, someone. And, and by the way, you cannot do that. Like you said, unless that, that kind of forces you to, to reverse engineer the ability to love yourself so that you have it to get. You got it. You, can, you can't love yourself if you're not being yourself either. So you have someone on the other side of the camera here, brother, who 100% believes that and actually wrote it in his book before you said it to him. And I know you've okay. been feeling it. So we align 100%. And my biggest thing on that is they, they really can't, it can't be a strategy. It yeah. has to be genuine. And you have to work at it. Listen, it's very easy in our culture right now to get down on humans, right? We always don't treat each other very well. And we don't agree on things. And the truth is like little things, people stand you up for appointments in business. You're like, you get to a point, you're like, I'm just sick of people, man. Yeah. I am just sick of people, man. Can anybody keep their word around here? You know, but the truth is that there's so many good people in the world. And why I love what we're talking about it is like people say, I want to change the world. Well, hey, man, I'm a big believer that in our culture, there needs to be a shift in consciousness. And maybe that sounds big and bold and good podcast talk. But I really believe that. I believe there needs to be a shift in consciousness where we first default to loving one another and then understanding each other. And then we can disagree. My dad, who died, we disagreed on almost everything. Politics, religion, everything. Mm -hmm. He's my best friend because I knew he loved me. And I loved him unconditionally. And so we didn't have to agree on everything to be best friends. And I think that that's the basis of you form all relationships, including businesses, love-based.
I think well, you, are you familiar with the work of John Gottman? No, uh, I'm not. No. So he's up at University of Washington. Uh, he wrote, he's written a, a number of really good books. He's, a, he's like one of the foremost experts on marriage. And anyway, he has some data that basically says husbands and wives generally disagree on about 60% of, of everything that comes up in their marriage, like where they're just going to have opposing viewpoints. And, uh, and, and he, he frames it as a question, like what percentage of unhappily married and or divorced couples would you, what, what percent do they disagree on? And what percent do the happiest couples disagree on? And the answer is 60%. That's awesome. For both groups. Yeah. It's the, it's the emotional and psychological and, and I would say even identity foundation below the disagreement and below the, the consciousness altogether. Yep. And the way that you treat each other and the way that you, you respect and cherish each other, mm. you can disagree on almost everything. Brother, that's an amazing statistic. I have the last chapter in the book before I write about my dad is on equanimity. Okay. And equanimity is basically peace and calmness under duress. It's love under duress. And it's one of the things I wish more for myself that I focus on is more equanimity in my life so that when I am in those disagreements in business, in my marriage mm -hmm. with friends, that I default to equanimity, that I default to the energy of love and peace and and calmness as opposed to rage, frustration, and the things that are opposite of those things. And so I had no idea we were going to talk about these things today, but I'm really grateful that we have because our, our thought processes are very much in alignment with one another. And it's, and it's literally what my book's about. Well, you know, I know that you, you've got a flight to catch and I want to honor and respect your time. Um, so I'll, I'll let you go here in a minute, but I, I will try to sum this up for at least my takeaway is to say, you know, this is a good experience for me, like you say, of finding really positive benevolent associations. You're a good person for me to know. Thank you. Because you're somewhere that I'm, I'm trying to go in, in, in many ways. And so first of all, personally, I'm, I'm grateful you were here and we spent this time together. But my, uh, my point is in seeking this question, a lot of people, I think, like might hear this and think that we're having some like woo woo conversation. I'm not, I truly believe now right. I'm, I'm, I don't presume to know everything. I truly believe mm -hmm. that I am discovering why Ed Milet is so successful. Thank you. Thank you. I, I got to tell you right now, this is no woo woo with me. I don't think either one of us even look like woo woo guys. So <laughs> there's no woo woo to me. What I will tell you is this is go hardcore entrepreneurship to keep complete this. Most of you are confused. You think you're in the business of whatever your product or service is. You think you're in that business. And if you got into the love and happiness business, you'd shift. Let me give you a quick example. To your ability to shift the love and happiness and link it somehow to the experience of being in business or doing business with you was not only the right way to live your life, but it's how you scale, it's how you grow, it's how you get wealthy. Give me three quick examples. McDonald's is the largest distributor of food in the world. They're also the number one holder of real estate in the world. And what's crazy about that is they're in neither of those businesses. They're in the love and happiness business. Right. In fact, their number one selling meal is called a happy meal. I don't know what that has to do with bad food, but they've linked it. Their mascot is a freaking clown. What does that have to do with food? Absolutely nothing, but they've got us all to link it. There's this little company that makes these things called iPhones. The current leader of that company is a guy named Tim Cook. He's my neighbor. The former leader is a guy named Steve Jobs, and his partner is a guy named Wozniak, who's a dear friend of mine. And I asked Woz, I said, why would you guys call it Apple? He goes, well, Ed, because he's kind of a prodigy. He goes, A was early in the phone book, but that's not really why. Steve said Apple's made him happy and felt loved. And when you watch videos of Steve Jobs rolling out old Macs, 
He's not going, the gigs are this, the megs are that, the speed. It's not what he's doing. Watch, go to YouTube. He's like, Wouldn't you love to take this beauty home? Isn't she beautiful? How happy? We, are you not falling in love with these curves? And it sounds hilarious, but he got you. I keep telling Cook, stop selling me the pixelization on your stupid phone. Yeah. Sell me the happiness and love deal that Jobs understood that you guys don't get. And then last, let's just use this. Number one thing McDonald's sells actually isn't food. It's Coca-Cola. Carbonated yeah. sugar water. The happy company, yeah. Ah, you get a Coke and a smile. Yeah. So if you want to be an entrepreneur, you just want to get good at business, the best in real estate, the best in tech, the best at whatever. you got to get good at this to be successful in business. It's your ability to go, what is, what is my... What does my dry cleaners have to do with happiness? You better figure it out because they figured it out with hamburgers. They figured it out with carbonated water. They figured it out with a computer. The best figure that out and the best, that's what I've been a successful entrepreneur is I sell love and happiness. So let me ask you this. How many people in the world sold, sell WFG? Are in that business right yeah, now? Yeah. How many people at the time you were successful, how many other people, consultants, affiliates, distributors, I don't know what they call them, advisors, how many yeah. were there? 50,000. 50,000. And you yeah. all had the exact same product set to sell. Correct. There was Perfect. no competitive advantage based on features or price. Correct. Never. No, that's never the advantage. Well, but, if you don't but you were the best that, at making people feel, feel loved, loved and, and happy. happy that you got it. And let me say something to you. I would literally say this. Do you have any idea how happy you're going to be? We would love to have you a part of our family. Yeah. I would literally say those words. And by the way, felt them. So that energy was transferable. Mm -hmm. And that's how I built my tech company. So I bought real, I'm doing it. Let me say this last, I know we're a little over. Uh, when we're done, one of the things I have to do today is I'm doing a real estate. I may be selling a home I have here locally. He's 84 years old. He's a very wealthy guy. He used to be my partner in my airplane. When I get there, I love this dude. I'm putting his arm around him and say, I won't say his name. I'll say, brother, do you have any idea how happy you'd be here? <laughs> I'm not going to tell him about the five bedrooms and the ocean view. And it's got a swimming. I'll get to all that. I'm going to link it to happiness. And by the way, I actually love this man. So I actually want him in this place and he can afford it. But I'm no dummy. I'm not going to features and benefits before love and happiness. I have to establish that basis first. Then I go features and benefits or whatever the heck else I want. There you heard it, folks. Foundational success principle straight out of the mouth of Ed Milet. Ed, thank you so much for being here, man. Uh, how can the world get into your world, get your book, wherever you'd like people to go? The Power of One More, everywhere books are sold. Instagram, Ed Milet, E-D-M-Y-L-E-T-T, -T, podcast, YouTube. You can find me if you would like to. I would be honored to help you. And brother, this is there's no mistake why you're so successful, why the show's so big, why your community's so huge. It's all come together for me today. I get it. Hey, it's Jeff here. If you liked this episode of Unlock Your Potential, it would mean so much if you would like and share the episode on whatever platform you're listening or viewing on. And if you really like what we're doing here and you enjoy this podcast, please consider leaving a review. There is so much work that goes into these episodes and you leaving a positive review lets us know that that work is reaching people and especially it helps us reach other people. Your review could be the reason that someone else decides to tune in, check out this podcast and unlock their potential and ultimately level up the quality of their life. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much for your support and for listening, especially if you like or share or leave a review. Thank you for helping us spread the word and thank you for unlocking your potential to go make the world and your world a better place.